All right, we're, we're live. Whew. Guys, it's been three weeks. It's been so long since I filmed a podcast. This was not my intentions. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jack Stands Podcast. This is episode 001. And before we get into it, I want to talk to you guys about why I've been gone so long and why it's been three weeks. Why did I post one time an intro and then not post again for three weeks? Well, Basically what happened is the Wednesday that I posted that podcast, the next Wednesday, um, my dog and I got attacked by two other dogs on our morning walk completely out of the blue. These dogs literally ran out of the other owner's apartments and just attacked us completely out of the blue. And Dixie took a huge beating. I mean, totally got her ass kicked, which is fine. She's the sweetest dog in the world and I love her. And she got just a huge abdominal rip, basically, across her entire abdomen. I mean, no joke, it's probably about 10 inches long. And so if you guys heard this story or whatever, and you guys have been praying for us or sending good vibes, whatever your thing is, I really appreciate it because it's working. I think we're finally over the hump here and we're finally in a good spot where I can now focus on the podcast, my YouTube channel, and other avenues where I create content. And it feels good to be back. I've been really stressed out and kind of wondering if my dog was going to make it or not. And finally, we're in a spot where she has got energy back. She's looking good. She's feeling good. And we're back in business. Um, and so, you know, the, the quote that I've kind of been sticking with these past three weeks have uh, been uh, get up and make shit happen because the world doesn't stop if you're having a bad day. And so uh, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been trying to do. And I've been making it happen in other ways. And uh, when bad things happen, I focus on making sure that I can fix that bad thing. And so that that me fixing that bad thing is making sure that Dixie gets healed up and she's finally in a good spot. And so I want to say thank you to everyone that's, uh, you know, said a prayer, said sent some good vibes and said just nice things to me. And so I really appreciate it. Uh, they're working. So anyways, what are we talking about today in the first episode of the Jack Stands podcast and I think this is really fitting because this, this podcast is all about working on your car, grassroots, building your car to express yourselves. And um, where did it begin? But we're talking about why we love Japanese cars. You see, there's a few movies, there's a one video game in particular, and it all started back in the 1980s with the oil crisis. And before we dive into the facts, I want to say that I did my research and this is all I know. Right, and so I don't know if I'm getting this all correct. This is what I believe to be correct, and so if this is uh, this is not correct, don't roast me down in the comments. Give me some love. Things uh, have been a little crazy, so we're still doing good though. And uh, it all started back in the oil crisis back in the 1980s. And uh, when there's an oil crisis, the EPA decides to restrict emissions. And so, what is one thing that all big boring American cars had in common back in the 1980s. I'll answer for you, there were big, boring, slow V8s. And uh, basically, I think that the Japanese car market saw this opportunity and they struck at the perfect time. You see, the Japanese car culture and the car community at that time, they were smaller cars that had smaller engines but handled really, really well. And up until this point, Americans really didn't know 
what a good handling car felt like, especially the American middle class. You see, they couldn't own the, you know, fancy, luxurious European cars of the time, like the BMW M3, maybe some of the Mercedes, and so on and so forth. So what did they buy? They bought Japanese sports cars. They bought cars like the Datsun 240Z. I realize that wasn't made in the 80s, but, you know, they bought the Datsun 280ZX or things like that. They bought these beautiful, small, uh, fast and reliable, inexpensive, and these cars handled fantastically, and many times they handled way better than their European competitors. And so that's something to keep in mind here as we kind of move forward. Um, but what really kicked it off, here's what really kicked it off. You see, it all started back in 2001. I want to take you back 19 years ago. Uh, for some reference, I was in the first or second grade, so I didn't see this movie when it first came out, but I remember watching this movie for the first time, and it's The Fast and the Furious. That's when this movie came out, and the first thing you're greeted with is a lime green Mitsubishi Eclipse, and it's spinning in circles for some reason, and it looks so, so good. I mean, this car is every teenager's dream, especially in the early 2000s. It's got flames, it's got underglow. It's a beautiful car. And we immediately fell in love with these bright JDM cars that these, that these movies were showing. And basically, we fell in love with what we didn't know at the time. We fell in love with these 90s JDM legends. These cars of these movies are legends to us now. And now that we're older and we can afford them, they're, they're reachable, right? And so we're talking about the Mark IV Supra, the R34 GTR, the RX-7, and even the 350Z from Tokyo Drift. I've got to throw in the car that inspired me to buy this car. It's the Veelside RX-7, in, or, I mean, excuse me, it's the Veelside 350Z in Tokyo Drift. It's the reason why I own a Nissan 350Z Nismo, an authentic Nismo, I'll have to know. And this this car, I look at this car, I'm, I'm in my garage, if you guys don't know, and I'm looking at this Nissan 350Z Nismo, and I fall in love with it every single time, and it just reminds me of the time that I fell in love with cars, and that's another podcast, so we will get into that another time. But you see, these cars in the Fast and Furious movies were just as important as the theme and the plot of the movies. These these cars were the focal point of these movies. And at a young age, you love that. You under, you, sometimes you don't necessarily understand the theme or the plot in a big movie, but when you see a cool, like bright orange Mark IV RX-7 racing a Ferrari Testarossa, like, come on, you grab onto that and you're like, I want that bright orange Mark IV Toyota Supra especially if it's beating a Ferrari. And I don't know that it's a Testeros. I don't think it is. So I'm sorry, don't, again, don't roast me in the comments. It's been a while since I've seen the Fast and Furious movies. Um, but these cars sparked a JDM movement in the United States. And of course they did, why wouldn't they? You've got a bunch of preteen kids, kids that almost have their driver's license. It's within grasp, but not close. I'm talking like 12 to 14 year olds, it's so close to grabbing your 
driver's license and hitting the road. And what do you see? You see brightly colored cars with underglow, turbos, flames, nitrous, and like I said, cool paint jobs. Not just bright paint jobs, but cool paint jobs. And what are they doing? They're street racing. They are doing something illegal, yet it's so fun and it's harmless. I don't know how many times I've raced somebody on the toll road and not harmed a soul. And a lot of times it's that way and sometimes it ends up a little bit more uh, drastically. And so be safe when you race, do it at nighttime, do it when nobody's around, don't be stupid. And basically these cars of these movies look like life-size Legos. You see the internet wasn't at the peak at what it was today. And so we didn't have, you know, forums about 350Zs or RX-7s or what taillights can I get that look cool for my Mark IV um, Toyota Supra. We didn't have those things. And so we basically just had to imagine. We just had to guess. These cars and these movies were the internet. It's what we dreamed about. It's what we thought about constantly. And then came along the need for speed video games. It allowed us to modify the cars that we dreamed about, the cars that we saw in the movies, the RX-7s, the 350Zs, the R34 GTRs, the 240SXs. We were able to modify cars in a way that expressed ourselves. That, that style came from within, and now, now we can do something about it. Now we can modify a car the way that we want it to, and all I have to do is street race? How cool is that? And that's what I love. That's what I love about this. You know, and I really think these cars sort of, sort of uh, followed, or these cars, excuse me, these movies and these video games followed each other. They, you know, went from Need for Speed Underground 2 all the way to Most Wanted and even beyond that to other really, really cool games. And they kind of shared that Japanese a fusion of culture and just cars in general. It was a really, really cool thing. Oh no. Oh, we're good. I'm sorry, guys. We're gonna have to make a cut, but we're good, we're good, we're back, we're back. And so these movies and these games mimicked each other in a way. And so I want you guys to go back again Go back in time with me. We're gonna woo, woo, woo. We're gonna go back in time to 2006. What movie came out? I'll answer for you. It was Tokyo Drift. And then what video game came out from Need for Speed? That's right. In 2006, Need for Speed Carbon came out. And what are the things that those had in common? Drifting. Now, they may not come out and say it directly that they mimicked each other, they matched each other, but it's not a coincidence. You see, on the cover of Need for Speed Carbon, we've got two cars drifting down what seems to be a Japanese mountain highway or a Japanese mountain road. And what happens at the end of Tokyo Drift? These two characters drift down and up a Japanese mountain road. And so they mimic each other in a way. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think there's a conspiracy theory, but I think they wanted us to live out the video, or the, they wanted us to live out the video games in the movies. I'm sorry, it's the other way. They wanted us to live out the movies in the video games, and we got to. It allowed us to kind of live out our dreams in a virtual world. And that's why you see so many people these days that are my age, I'm 26, 
You see so many people between the ages of like 23 and 35 buying their dream JDM cars instead of, you know, maybe a supercar or whatever. They're buying Mark IV Supras. They're buying R32, R33 GTRs. They're buying RX-7s instead of maybe, I don't know, a supercar or whatever, a Corvette. I don't know, something cool. But Tokyo Drift also exposed the world to drifting. You see, drifting is a very, very deep, cultural-rich sport in Japan. It's huge. It's massive. And basically, it exposed the world to drifting, and it exposed it to a very large group of kids that were just about to get their licenses, and I was a part of that group. I grew up wanting to drift. From 2006 up until now, my dream is and always will be to be a professional drifter. I want to do that. That's what I want. And that's what I hope one day this podcast and YouTube channel can help create for me. Um, you see, and also growing up, I didn't have a lot of motorsports. You see, I really grew up with NASCAR. Turn left, go fast. And my family has this rich tradition of eating what we call man nachos. Now, there's nothing really special about man nachos. They're basically a big platter of chips, cheese, and whatever meat we had in the fridge from the weekend that was left over, and we would just cover it in whatever toppings we could think of, and we would sit down with sodas or beer or whatever we could drink for the appropriate age, and we would just enjoy NASCAR. Now, NASCAR never really was my thing, but I loved racing and I loved going fast, so you better believe I watched those boys go around that track, and I watched them turn left every single Sunday, because that was religion. Unless, unless the Cowboys were on and then I was watching football. But NASCAR was really the only motorsport I grew up with. It's all I knew. And then when I saw drifting, I was like, wait a second. These guys are turning right and they're literally going sideways at speed. They're not going in a straight line. They're going sideways. Never seen that before. And it took the states by storm. And, you know, just to let you guys know, I understand that a grassroots drift culture had already started in the United States. In fact, formula drift in the United States, professional drifting, had already started in 2003, so it was pretty established. But my age, my generation of kids, never knew what drifting was unless you lived up north in like Connecticut, New Hampshire, places like that. And a little bit in California it happened, but really I grew up in Texas. So I never knew what drifting was. I went to dirt tracks and watched people race their, you know, beat up Crown Vicks around a dirt track. Um, but I remember watching Tokyo Drift and seeing that veal side RX, or R I keep saying RX-7, it's a 350Z. I keep seeing that, I remember seeing that veal side 350Z and thinking to myself, I don't know what the hell that guy's doing in that car, going around the corners, like sideways and stuff. But I wanna do that for my job. And I can't wait for that day, even if it's not my job, even if I just own a drift car, that's what I want. That's what I want in life is I wanna own a drift car so, so bad. And I can't wait till that day happens, it's close. If I didn't have vet bills, it'd be a little bit closer, but We'll put that aside. I'm not bitter. The money's going to come back sometime. We'll see. But like I said, FD started back in 2003. And so really, drifting was just getting started in the United States. 
And I can't tell you how many times now with COVID going on that I've watched international drift championships and pro drift, you know, challenges in Japan. I've stayed up till 4 a.m. so that I can watch it live. I've done it thousands of times and I love it. Drifting has inspired me. Drifting culture, Japanese culture has inspired the way that I build the car that's in front of me. And I love it. And I cannot wait to continue to build cars this way. You see, these movies and these cars really inspired a generation to build cars in a certain way. And we really haven't seen a movie do that. I think the only other movie that might do it, and it may not, but it, Ford versus Ferrari could really inspire the next generation of kids to love American endurance racing. And I think that's really cool. I never grew up watching Le Mans or F1 or anything like that, but seeing the story of the Ford GT really, really is incredible. And I think what's gonna make that not like, what makes that movie not like Need for Speed, or excuse me, The Fast and Furious, is basically the Ford GT is a little out of reach. You see, I can't own a Ford GT, and I don't know many people that can own a Ford GT. And if you can own a Ford GT, then you probably have one. But Japanese cars, many people can afford. My 350Z Nismo, I bought it because I could afford it. And people buy, you know, right-hand drive JDM Legends because they love those cars and they can afford them. They now have access to adult money and now they can buy reckless adult things, which is super exciting. Trust me, 26 sounds old, but believe me, having adult money and being able to spend that adult money how you want is the best thing in the world. Even if you don't really remember buying it, you just get presents in the mail from Amazon. You're like, hey, where did this come from? It's great, I love it. And it, this, what I'm trying to get across here is these movies sparked a movement within a generation of kids that really has carried on. And it, it's gonna carry on to my kids for sure. It's gonna carry on to other people's kids. And, you know, I just wish other kids would grow up with the Fast and Furious that I grew up with. I think that street racing scene is really cool and the way that they portrayed it was really, really awesome. And they did such a really good job with like the first four or five, maybe even six movies. And then to me, the movies changed. I don't know that they got bad, but they changed a little bit. And so I don't wanna keep rambling on, but these movies really changed the way that people view cars. You see, a lot of people really loved American muscle cars. And then they realized, hey, I can get a lot of power out of straight six, strap a turbo onto it and whoop Mustangs off the light all day long. And a lot of people do it. In fact, this stock 350Z Nismo has beaten plenty of Mustangs in roll racing. And you don't have to believe me, it's happened. I don't have video film of it, but it's happened. And so, you know, maybe V8s aren't the best. And in my opinion, they're not. You waste a lot of gas, meh, you're not that fast. Anyways, I'm gonna get roasted in the comment section. But with that all being said, I wanna say guys, thank you for all the support. The weekly podcasts are coming back and I'm really, really excited for that. And just stay tuned because there's so much happening. And if you are watching this on video live, if you're watching this on the video podcast, I'm sorry I'm so sweaty. I'm literally sitting in my garage 
at 9.34 p.m. and it's still like 95 degrees in Texas and I'm sweating my butt off. So if you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast or the YouTube channel, make sure you hit the links in the bio and go do that. And also guys, um, listen to this podcast wherever you can listen. We're still trying to get Apple Podcasts to let us come on their platform. So we're on Spotify. If you don't have Spotify, I don't know what you're doing or what you're listening to music on, but you should listen to it on Spotify and you should listen to this podcast because I believe it is the best automotive podcast that's on the internet right now. Guys, thank you so much for watching. This is the Jack Stains Podcast, episode 001, and I am Chase Monson saying goodnight. Peace out, everybody. Have an awesome day, and uh, do a burnout this weekend. You'll enjoy it. Peace, guys.